Thanks for listening to First Baptist Church of Conway. We pray that this message is both an encouragement and a challenge to you as you grow in faith in Jesus. We are happy to provide this resource to you, but as you know, this alone cannot meet the need we all have for fellowship and corporate worship. So we hope you'll be able to join us this Sunday at 10 a.m. Or if you're not in the area, give us a call and we'll do our best to help you find a good church to visit. For now, here is this week's message. Okay, so whenever I preach, I always have to make sure I clear up two things right off the bat. Number one, I'm not Pastor Brian. He's out today. Um, Number two, I'm not Chris Sansbury. And so uh, there, it's... It's like, is Chris, is Chris even here today? Where is he? No, he's not even here. Yeah, he knew I was going to be here, so he was like, nah, I'm out. <laughs> so when you see Chris next week, tell him he did a good job on the sermon, okay? Even if I bomb it, just make sure you let him know. So if you're not sure which one of us is Chris, it's cool. Just go. Just go with it. It'll be fun. But at any rate, um, now I'm Alan. I'm a um, member of the church here. Pastor Brian's out, so uh, I'm preaching in his stead today. And so if you came to hear Pastor Brian today, um, you know, you can, you, there's still a chance now you can leave, pull him up online, and watch one of his sermons. Um, they're all over, they're on YouTube and on the church website, all that good stuff. But if you stay here, you're stuck with me. So I have three questions I want to start with, and I'm going to ask you to raise your hand. I used to teach high school. Um, so everybody's able to raise their hand. Let's test it out. Ready? Go. Boom. All right, good. Some of you can't raise your hands. Okay, here we go. So I'm going to ask you three questions. If this is true of you, raise your hand in agreement. Okay, how many of you have ever been tempted? Yep, I think I see, all, I see that hand. Number two, how many of you have ever given into temptation and regretted it? How many believe you're going to be tempted again? All right. Sometimes we forget that temptation is a reality in our lives. We, we tend to think it's other people or other people's problem, but a couple of things I want to start out. So this morning, I'm, I'm preaching from uh, Matthew chapter 4. We'll be looking at the, the temptation of Jesus, but I want to speak a few, say a few things about temptation before we jump into that. Studies show that people are, are not able to resist temptation as much as they think they are. There's actually a term for this. It's called restraint bias. We think we can stand up to the temptation, and then there's chocolate cake. I'm not eating any, I'm not going to eat any junk food today. Hey, there's cake in the conference room. It's this really great chocolate cake. Well, I might just need to go have a little piece. Next thing you know, we're on our piece number three, right? Or today, I am not going to swear, and then I'm driving down the road, and mm, right? You've been there? I've been there. I'm not going to yell at my kids. Oh, my goodness. Do you know what they just did? Today, God's going to help me to restrain my gossip and my slander. The phone rings. Oh, that's the T? Oh, my gosh. Wait till I tell you. You've been there? I've been there. You're like, I'm not going to look at porn one more time. Five minutes later, you're on your phone. And you went straight there. I'm not going to overspend. But on October 10th and 11th, Amazon's doing another sale. (laughs) Right? We are weak. We are prone to temptation. Every single one of us. The old church lady who has gone here every Sunday her entire life is still prone to temptation. Anybody want to say amen to that? I didn't hear a lot of old ladies on that, but all right, we'll keep going. 
The young 20-some-year-old guy is prone to temptation. Yeah, and everybody in between. So why do I want to start with that? Because I want you to realize that this is a passage of Scripture that we're coming to today that has application to each and every one of us. None of us are excluded. If you walk out here and say, yeah, there was nothing for me in that sermon, well, then you know your temptation is to disregard God's truth that applies to your life. Okay? But there's some good news, okay? The devil's coming for us, right? We know temptation's coming, but there's good news, and that is this. We have a Savior who understands our temptation, who's acquainted with our weaknesses, who has lived on earth as fully human, and he was tempted, and, and God's word shows us how he lived in the face of that temptation and walked in a way through it and was able to resist and lays out a beautiful foundation for us, some beautiful truths for how we too, when we are faced with temptation, not if, but when we are faced with temptation, we too can stand up under it. If you got your Bibles, I'm going to be reading from the New Living Translation. Um, follow along with me. Matthew chapter 4. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit, that's the Spirit of God, into the wilderness to be tempted. That's the whole purpose of him being led here into the wilderness, right? To be tempted there by the devil. Some of your translations will say the tempter. The New Living Translation goes ahead and just names it out for you in case you have any confusion. For 40 days and 40 nights, he fasted and became very hungry. Okay, I'm going to stop real quick. Any of you ever been hangry? Yeah. So have you ever been 40 days hangry? Yeah, me neither. I guarantee you Jesus is at a very weak moment on the very fact that he hasn't had lunch or breakfast or dinner for 40 days. I won't call out my wife, but let me tell you, if she went 40 days without food, I wouldn't be sitting next to her in church. I don't think you'd want to sit next to her either. I love you. <laughs> Let's try to cover myself here. All right, verse 3. During that time, the devil came to Jesus and said to him, if you are the son of God, since you're the son of God, another way we could read that, since you're the son of God, tell these stones to become loaves of bread. But Jesus told him, no, the scriptures say people do not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Keep going. Then the devil took him to the holy city, Jerusalem, to the highest point of the temple and said, if you are the son of God, jump off. For the scriptures say he will order his angels to protect you and they will hold you up with their hands so that you won't even hurt your foot on a stone. And Jesus responded, the scriptures also say, you must not test the Lord your God. Go ahead, next one. Next, the devil took him to the peak of a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. This is, kind of, this is a spiritual mountain here. And he said, I will give it all to you if you will kneel down and worship me. Get out of here, Satan, Jesus told him. For the scriptures say, you must worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Next verse. Then the devil went away. And angels came and took care of Jesus. Will you pray with me real quick? God, we love you. We love your word. And I'm so thankful, God, that your word is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. And I pray, God, that you would pierce through the hardness of our hearts to hear from you, to be challenged by you, and equipped by your spirit to walk in your truth. 
from what we hear today in your word. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. I want to cover some big ideas from this passage. Go to the next slide. First of all, you need to know this. Satan is the tempter. Satan is the tempter. His mission is to drag your soul to hell. He is not your friend. The scripture says that he is your adversary. He is your opponent. He has a lot of different names. The devil, Lucifer. He is on the other team. He is not for you. If you're Carolina, he's Clemson. He's the opposite side. Sometimes we, we tend to forget that, that we truly do have an adversary, someone who wants to destroy us, someone who is an opponent to God, an opponent to God's plan. And right from the beginning of Jesus' ministry, the devil comes to Jesus with a mission of trying to subvert what God has sent his one and only son to do, which is to live a sinless life, to proclaim the gospel, and to go to the cross and die to claim victory over sin and death. And Jesus wants to circumvent that right now, straight out of the gate into Jesus' ministry and say, I've got a plan whereby you can fast track this thing. You don't need to go to the cross. God has a plan for your life, just like he has a plan for Jesus' ministry, and Satan wants to undo that. In Ephesians chapter 6, the apostle Paul tells us that we need to put on the armor of God so that we can withstand the attacks of the enemy. The enemy's mission is to attack you, to destroy you. And he is coming this week to tempt you. He is coming this day to tempt you. The next thing we need to see in this passage is that temptation to sin, next slide, temptation to sin, though, is not sin. Sometimes we think, if I am tempted, then I feel bad about it. Oh, here I go again with, it's okay to say I don't like the temptation, but what we don't need to do is think that just because I'm tempted that I have sinned. It's not the same. Because Hebrews chapter four tells us, so, so then, since we have a great high priest, that's Jesus, he's our great high priest, who has entered into heaven, Jesus, the son of God, let us hold firmly to what we believe. This high priest of ours understands. I love this. I, I, I was reminded this morning in Sunday school class of a book that uh, was advised to me to read uh, a while back, and I read it, if we, in the, in the, the gist of the book is if we will understand God rightly, we'll understand our, ourselves rightly. And something we need to understand about God is that we have a faithful high priest in Jesus who understands our weakness. God doesn't look at you and go, you weakless, pathetic fool. If you hear that in your head, that's the whisperings of the enemy. We have a God who understands our weakness and he says, I understand and I love you for he faced all the same testings we did, we do, but he was without sin. We cannot control when we will be tempted. We cannot control how we will be, how we will be tempted. All we can control is how we will respond when we are tempted. Jesus understands our weakness. He himself was faced with temptation. And so we know temptation isn't sin, but temptation opens the doorway. And if we're not careful, we'll step right into that door. But I need you to understand, temptation to sin in and of itself is not sin. Third big idea is this. Temptation is experienced by everybody. Every one of us, all of us are facing temptation. 1 Corinthians 10, one of my favorite verses uh, in all of scripture. I have needed to, to remind the enemy of this, I have needed to remind myself this again and again and again throughout my walk. It says, if you think you're standing strong, be careful not to fall. 
I want to read that again. If you think you're standing strong, be careful so that you do not fall. The first line of defense that we have, Christian, is to not be so prideful as to think we are immune to sin. If you look at those people out there and say, I would never do what they're doing. I would never march in that parade. I would never put that in my yard. I would never talk to my wife like that. I would never use the substance. I wouldn't. As soon as you begin with, I would never, you are already on the path to your own sinful destruction. Right? And that's what scripture tells us. You are not above it. Every one of us, I have a good friend, um, he's a child psychiatrist, and he said to me, oh gosh, it's probably 20 years ago, and it's forever stuck in my head. I don't remember anything else he said, but I remember this. He says, every single one of us, Alan, are one decision away from a gross moral failure or one decision away from committing a felonious crime that would put us in prison. Every single person sitting in this room, one decision away. The temptations in your life are no different from what others experience. That, for me, was of significance for me to grasp and need to continue to grasp. Sometimes I think that I'm special and my temptations are different, but they're not. The enemy wants you to believe that the temptations that you face are unique to you and nobody would understand. And if you ever said it, people would think you're nuts or crazy. Well, you are probably. Some of you, Joe maybe over here, a little bit. I told him I was gonna do a little call out for him. Um, <laughs> but, but here's the thing. We're, we're not nuts, we're not crazy. We're just human beings who battle with flesh and blood and battle with, with the enemy who wants to take us down. We're no different. What we experience is no different than what others experience. And God is faithful. God is faithful. God is faithful. Say that with me. God is faithful. He will not allow the temptation to be more than you can stand. He understands and he knows what you're capable of and he's not going to give you more than what you can stand up under. But when, key word here, when you are tempted, he will show you a way out so that you can endure. In Sunday school class this morning, um, this wasn't part of my notes, so I'm going to read it from my phone. In Sunday school class this morning, we were talking about Jesus telling Peter that Peter is going to deny him. And Peter, being Peter, runs off and says, oh, I would never deny you, Jesus. But this is, this is the way Luke chapter 22 says this. Jesus says to Peter, he says, Simon, Simon, Peter has two names, he says, Simon, Simon. Satan has asked to sift each of you like wheat. But I have pleaded in prayer for you. Temptation is going to be experienced by all, just like Peter here. Jesus says, I've pleaded in prayer for you, Simon, that your faith should not fail. So that when you have repented, well, what does that mean? Jesus, I pleaded that you would, and I have prayed for you that you wouldn't fail. I know you're going to, though. So when you have repented from your failure and turn to me again, strengthen your brothers. I want to talk about temptation that's experienced by all. Something that if you've ever done a 12-step program, you've probably um, heard of this. Have you ever heard of HALT, H-A-L-T? 
Hungry, angry, lonely, tired. Hungry, angry, lonely, tired. There are four ways in which you are most vulnerable in your life to temptation. When your physical being or your emotional being is, is jeopardized, is, is compromised in some way. If you are hungry, you are much more likely to yell at your kids. <laughs> if you are hungry, you're much more likely to drive like a jerk. If you are hungry, you're much more likely to just spout off and say stupid things. If you are angry, all of those again. If you are lonely, you are vulnerable. If you are tired, you are more vulnerable. And this is exactly when Jesus is tempted by Satan. All right, but there's some good news. I want to go there. Go to the next slide, please. Jesus helps us when we are tempted. I love the book of Hebrews. I think it's becoming, as I get older, I think it's becoming one of my favorite books of the the Bible. In Hebrews chapter 2, we read, since he himself has gone through suffering and testing, Jesus is able to help us when we are being tempted. In Hebrews 7, he lives forever to intercede with God on their behalf. And this is exactly what Luke chapter 22 records where Jesus says to Peter, I have been praying for you, Peter. I've been praying that you will be faithful, that you will endure. But when when you do fail, repent and turn back to me. I'm, I'm, I'm here to help you. I'm interceding for you. We have a faithful high priest who is praying for us, who is interceding on our behalf. Go to the next slide. So Jesus is gonna help us when we're tempted. But you need to know this. Satan only has three tricks in his bag. He's the great magician that only has three tricks. He has three worn out bags with the same three tricks that he's been playing out of that bag his entire life. In 1 John, we read these. Do not love this world nor the things it offers you. For when you love the world, you do not have the love of the Father in you. Right here, here's the three tricks. For the world offers only a craving for physical pleasure. Number two, a craving for everything we see. And three, the third bag of tricks, pride in our achievements and possessions. These are not from the Father, but these are from the devil. Or they're from this world. In the King James Version, if, you, if you've ever memorized this verse in the King James, you read it as the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Those are the three tricks. Those are the three bags. That's all he's got. But let me tell you, he knows how to play them, and he plays them well, and he plays them often. And Jesus is tempted with these same three tricks, though not in that exact order, and I want to cover those. So Satan only has three tricks to lure you in. Here's his three tricks. Trick number one is the craving for physical pleasure. Look with me, if you would, there in uh, Matthew chapter 4, verses 3 and 4. I want to read that again. So during that time, the devil came to Jesus and said to him, If you are, or since you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become loaves of bread. Forty days and forty nights, you haven't had anything to eat. Trust me, if somebody came to you after forty days of not eating and said, Hey, I've got a rock here. We could make it bread right now and we could eat. You'd be like, "Mm." You wouldn't even need it to be heated up or butter on it. You, you wouldn't care if it was like hard as a rock. You'd be like, ah, Guarantee you this is a significant temptation for Jesus. But Jesus tells him, no, the scriptures say people do not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. But I'm going to challenge this. I'm going to guess that some of you have spent your entire, work, your entire week eating food, but never taking in the word of God. This is the first time you've heard the word of God since last Sunday. And Jesus says, you can't live that way. 
If you do, you will give in to physical pleasure. And I'm going to get to more of that in a little bit. But Satan is going to try to exploit your physical appetites. He's going to try to use food, hunger, to lead to gluttony. Nobody ever wakes up one day and says, you know what? I think I want to become a slave to cake. Nobody wakes up that way. But there are countless people who are slaves to food. And food is their master. Physical appetite taken to an extreme by the enemy. Nobody wakes up and says, I want to be a porn addict. I want to cheat on my wife. I want to become addicted to something that will destroy every relationship in my world. But countless people do. God gave us sexual desire. The enemy wants to twist that, manipulate, and destroy us with it. God gave us a desire for knowledge and learning. And countless people twist that, manipulate it, and make it a, a pursuit to be on top, to be the most powerful person, to use their arrogance to destroy all of the underlings. I knew a man once, he says, there's nothing that makes me happier than walking through the office at work and watching people scramble into their cubicles for fear that I'm going to fire them. God gave us a calling on our lives to be leaders, to be those who invest in other people's lives, but the enemy wants to manipulate and twist and make that into something perverted. God-given appetites fulfilled in ungodly ways, the craving for physical pleasure that will destroy us. The trick here is not really food. The trick here is to give in to the body. The trick number two is pride in our achievements and possessions. Do you know how much money you need to have to be in the top 10%, your net worth to be in the top 10% in the world? $93,000. That's it. Statistically, most people in this room have a net worth of that. Statistically. You're in the top 10% of the wealthiest people in the world. But you don't think that way, do you? You want more. You need more. Because the enemy wants to take what God has blessed us with. In fact, we will, I, I was sitting with a lady not too long ago. She was recounting all the good things she has in her life. And she's like, and she said it, hashtag blessed. I wanted so bad to say something in that moment. But I didn't, I didn't. But this trick right here, to take pride in our achievements and our possessions, and yet what does the writer of Hebrews say? That every good and perfect gift comes from the Father of lights. Everything good you have, the home you have, the car you drive, the clothes on your back, the food on your table, the ability you have to take the vacations you take, every bit of it came from God. And it was created and given to you for the purpose of you glorifying God with it. Not to flaunt it, not to, not to go on Amazon and buy 10 more things you don't need. Or, I, I mean, gosh, I think of all the, I, I've been in a lot of people's homes for my years working in hospice, and I'm, it saddens me, it sickens me sometimes when I walk into people's homes who have spent their entire lives collecting things from QVC or Amazon or wherever they bought it from. Rooms filled, packages not even opened. Because we, we need more. And that, that sin, that's a manipulation of God's 
calling on our lives to be fruitful and multiply. We don't need to redecorate again. We don't need another extravagant trip. We don't need to spend more money on more things that we don't need. We are to use what God has given us to bless God, to care for those in the world who don't have. And so if you have a net worth of 93,000 or more, you're already in the top 10%. If you have any college degree at all, you're in the top 7% worldwide. But if God has given you that, praise him for it, great. But then use those achievements and possessions for his glory, not your own. Because what does the devil do? He takes Jesus up on top of this holy city over Jerusalem to the highest point of the temple and says, if you are the son of God, you can jump off here, Jesus. He's going to order his angels to protect you. His word says you're not even going to hit your foot upon a rock. You already possess this. So go ahead and use it for your gain right now, Jesus. And what does Jesus respond? He says, the scriptures say, you are not to test the Lord your God. The third trick is this, craving for everything you see. So the devil takes Jesus up onto the peak of a very high mountain, shows him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And Satan says, I will give all of this to you if you just kneel down and worship me. Now, you might be looking, going, how in the world can Satan offer to Jesus all the kingdoms of the world? Well, the scriptures tell us that Satan is the prince of the air, Ephesians chapter 2. And Satan, as the prince of the air, has been given temporary, short-term, for a period of time, control over the things of this world, which is why the world is so wicked and evil, okay? Which is why people act the way they do. And so Satan has temporary control, but Jesus ultimately is the one who has control. And, and Jesus is being tempted by the enemy right here to saying, hey, see all this? This can all be yours if the Price is right? No. If you just bow down and worship me. That's it. Step right up. Bow down and worship me. We're in. You don't need to go to the cross, Jesus. You can have all of it now. For you and me, the temptation to get more, to see things and be like, I need that. It's called coveting. I need, I need another house, I need another car, I need another vacation, I need another kid, I need another wife, I need, I need, I need. No, you don't. But notice, notice here what, what Jesus does. I'm going to go to the next slide. Notice what Jesus does here. Jesus uses scripture to fight the enemy. The word of God is our best offense against temptation. The word of God is our best offense against temptation. Notice what Jesus does all three times with all three temptations. And I think it's important for, understand, for us to understand this. You don't need to sit there and figure out all the intricacies of why am I being tempted? Is it because I'm hungry? Is it my angry? Am I lonely? Am I tired? Yes, it's good to know that you're more vulnerable in those times. You don't need to figure out, is this trick number? Is this the lust of the flesh or the lust of the eyes or is this the pride? Of, you don't need to figure all that out. How does Jesus combat temptation? He quotes the word of God. In Ephesians chapter 6, we learn to put on the full armor of God, and all of the armor of God is defensive except one thing. Ephesians 6, therefore, put on every piece of the God's armor. So we're to put all this on, not just grab the one thing. So put on the full armor of God so that you will be able to resist the enemy in the time of evil. Then, after the battle, you will still be standing firm. I don't want to pause for a minute. Do you see that word, battle? You ever feel like, man, I've just been in a battle. I feel like I've been in a war my entire life against the enemy trying to take me down. I have been there. After the battle, the goal is that you'll still be standing firm. Stand your ground, putting on the belt of truth, 
the body armor of God's righteousness. Next one. For, for shoes, put on the peace that comes from the good news so that you will be fully prepared. In addition to all of this, hold up the shield of faith to stop the fiery arrows of the devil. Put on salvation as your helmet, and right here, and take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. What does Jesus do? He takes up the Word of God. And I'm just going to say this. If you do not read the Word of God, if you do not meditate on the Word of God, if you do not memorize the Word of God, if you do not hide God's Word in your heart, what does the psalmist say? I will hide God's Word in my heart so that I will not sin against Him. If you don't know the Word, you will fall to temptation. I'm going to say it again. If you do not know the word of God, you will fall into temptation. But let me tell you this too. The devil knew the word of God. He quoted the word of God to Jesus. Knowing the word is not enough. You can have a head knowledge, but no heart change. You can sit in church every Sunday of your life. You can memorize the entire Bible cover to cover. But if you do not have the saving faith that accompanies the knowledge of the word, you will fall. In James chapter 2, James tells us that even the demons of hell believe in God. Did you know that? Even the demons in hell believe in God. It is God never calls us to just believe in him. He calls us to follow him. He says, follow me. If we're going to carry the sword in our hand, the sword of God's word, we need to be very careful of a couple things. One, that it has pierced our heart first. God's word is living and active. It is not this dead text that we're just to stick in our head so we can throw it out when we need to, to manipulate people, to twist it to our own fancy. And I guarantee you, there are pulpits all across America, all across the world, where pastors are preaching today from the word of God and they are manipulating the word to preach a gospel that's not the gospel that will lead people into sin and temptation. We must know the word of God, but we must be following Jesus so that we take action with that word appropriately. My last big idea is this. God will bless you as you endure the temptation. In James chapter 1, we read this. And there's, I'm just going to say this. There's a blessing and there's a curse I'm going to read here. We see this often in scripture. A blessing accompanied by a curse. The question is, which one are you going to get? But I want to focus on the blessing. James 1, verse 12. God blesses those who patiently endure testing. I'm going to say that again. God, and this is, his, this is his desire. This is his heart, folks, right here. God blesses those who patiently endure testing and temptation. That's his hope for you. Afterward, they will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. And I will build my life upon the Lord. It is a firm foundation. We just sing that. 
I will put my trust in, in you, God, alone. I will not be shaken. But James also says this, and remember, when you're being tempted, don't say, God's tempting me. God's never tempted anyone to do wrong, and he never tempts anyone else. God's never been tempted to do wrong, and he doesn't tempt anyone else. Temptation comes from our own desires, which entice us and drag us away. And that's the very thing that, that Jesus prayed for Peter. He says, when, I pray that you, when you fall, that you won't be dragged away, that your faith will not be swept out from underneath you just because you gave in. Temptation comes from our own desires, which entice us and drag us away. These desires, if you give birth to them, to, will lead you to sinful action. And when sin is allowed to grow, it gives birth to death. There are no fiddles made of gold, folks. The devil is coming down to Georgia. Yes, he's coming down to South Carolina too. And he's wheeling and dealing. And he's got all kinds of promises for you. This is going to make you rich. This is going to make you popular. This is going to make people like you. This is going to make you feel good. And yes, all of that may be true for the next hour or the next week, maybe for the next couple years. But if he plays you and you sit at the table and you get played out of his bag of tricks again and again and again. Go to that next slide. Did I put that last verse on there or no? No, I didn't. Okay, thank you. So you can just leave that there. If you play out of his bag of tricks, then that sin will grow and it will give birth to death. And what does that death mean? Eternal separation from God. Now, none of us, listen to me. None of us will ever, ever be sin-free in this life. We're going to struggle with temptation, some of it, and we're going, to, we're, going to, we're going to struggle with it. And John chapter 1 says, if we claim we have no sin, we're fooling ourselves, we're not living in the truth. So if you're like, I do not sin, you're a liar, is what Scripture says. The truth isn't in you. That's, that's, that's God's word. If you don't like it, you can take it up with him. But 1 John 1, 9 says this, if, but if we confess our sins to him, so when we fall into that temptation, and that temptation yields to, we yield to sin because of temptation. But if we confess our sins to him, I love this, he is faithful and just. I love this. Our God doesn't look at us and say, you worthless piece of trash. He says, I am a faithful and just God. I love you. You are my dearly beloved children. And he says, he is faithful and just, and he will cleanse us from all wickedness. All of it. If we confess our sins, he will cast those sins as far as the east is from the west. How far is that? Indefinite. There's no end. As Jesus came to the end of his temptation, I like, I like what Matthew says here. The devil went away and the angels came and they took care of him. I, I, I come to passages sometimes like that in Scripture, and I'm just like, I wonder, what the, I wonder what that looked like. I wonder what it looked like when those angels like showed up. Do, I, I think there was food. I, I, I want to believe there's food. A whole lot of amazing food. And it's not just worthless bread. I'm thinking it's bacon-wrapped steaks. Yes? Probably, I don't know what else. I, I don't know. Fruit and, oh my gosh, cake. I, 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 chocolate cake. There had to be chocolate cake. And coffee. Liberal amounts of coffee. 
or Diet Coke or whatever it is your thing you're about. But I want to tell you this. Luke chapter 4 says something else about this. So Matthew, Matthew covers this account. Luke also covers this account of Jesus' temptation. Luke chapter 4 ends it differently, and I want to read that because it's, one, it's kind of frustrating, but two, it's enlightening. Luke records the same event, and he ends it with this. And when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time. Oh, really? If you've ever been in the thick of the battle of temptation, you're not alone. If you've ever gotten to the end of it and you're like, man, I feel like I've been free and clear for like weeks, months, years. Like that, that hasn't popped up in my life. I've been knocking that out of the park. Woo, we got this. Just know this. It's a little more bad news for you. The devil's coming back at an opportune time. He's not done. He is the adversary. I, I liken this, the way Luke carries this, is like I'm watching the end of the Jason Bourne movie and he's in the water and you're like, it's over. It's over. But then he starts swimming, right? Can you picture that scene? Now that, that lets you go, oh, there's going to be another one. Only this is kind of not as good because you're like, woohoo, it's over. And then all of a sudden, it's like that arm comes out of the, you know, the bad guys, you know, I don't know, some creepy Halloween movie or something. And the, you know, the, the creature's dead and under the ground. All of a sudden, you see the hand pushing up through the dirt. And you're like, no, and the movie's over. And that's kind of how Luke writes out this story. We have a faithful high priest who's been tempted just like we are. He knew what it was like to walk through temptation and to face that battle, just like you and I. But James 1 says this, the last passage I want to read. Those who remain steadfast under trial will be blessed to receive the crown of life promised for those who love God. Christian, temptation's coming. I wish it weren't so. As I look at my own life, um, I'm going to invite the worship team to head up here for a minute. I've got a few more things I want to say. As we face life this week, temptation's coming. And I wish it weren't so. I wish it weren't so in my own life. But we need to be careful of a couple of things. One, we need to make, be aware if we are in that hungry, angry, lonely, tired stage. Two, we need to be aware of this. If we think that we are incapable of falling, we have already stepped into the sin of pride, which makes us even more vulnerable. And maybe you've been free and clear of certain sins and struggles for a long time. But know this. The enemy's coming back to work on you again. But we have a faithful high priest in Jesus Christ who knows what we're going through, who is compassionate, who loves us, who the foundation of his life on this earth was to walk exactly the struggle you and I walk to prove to us that we can overcome and he's interceding in the heavenly places on our behalf so that we can walk in victory. Do you believe that? All right, I'm going to pray. And then we're going to sing because we have a great, great song to end with. Jesus, we are so thankful for your love for us. We're thankful that we do not battle against flesh and blood, but we do battle against the heavenly realms. And you are the heavenly high priest 
And you've already declared victory over every battle. And the war is already won. But as we face these battles this week, we've got you interceding for us. And we're not alone in this battle. And we can lean into you. And we can ask for your help in our time of need. And you will answer. I pray that you will give us victory. That you will help us to remember of your great love. And when we face temptation, that we will be able to stand up under. But if we fall, God, help us not to give up on our faith. Help us not to walk away. Help us not to dig our heels in and give full vent to that sin. But may we be faithful to confess it. We know you will be faithful to forgive us and cleanse us. Thank you, Jesus, for being our help, guiding us, protecting us, giving us victory over the battle. In Christ's name we pray. And the people said, amen.